How are you all? Good, good. I'm a little stiff. I was at a tournament yesterday with my son who plays football. And after a few burgers at the barbecue and standing around in the sun all afternoon, we thought it would be a good idea, having not played football for quite a few years, to have a football match, full intensity. I think that's what we recommend, isn't it? From absolutely nothing, a few burgers, to playing football at full intensity. So, feeling a little stiff, but I hope you guys are doing okay. Today we are continuing in our One Another series. And I guess what we're recognizing is that we need one another. I need you, you need me, we need one another We're not called to do discipleship, follow Jesus on our own. We're called to do it together. We need one another. It's not an individual sport. We're called into community. And I'll talk about this a bit later, but there's a danger, I think, in an increasingly individualistic society that we can want to do church, want to do this Christian thing on our own. But actually, we're called to do it together. We need one another. So as we look at today's one another phrase, and in the spirit of a fringe festival, I'm going to try something a little bit different, a little risky. Some of you will love it. Some of you are trying to get out of your seats and leave right now. But I'm going to need a volunteer. Thank you, Samuel Robinson. So that's great. Do you want to come up, Samuel? Your dad volunteered you, actually. So come on. <laughs> yeah, give him a hand. So Samuel, you're going to, you're going to go out of Adele, okay? No, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're going to go out of Adele. So Adele's going to explain. I'm going to explain to the rest of us what's going to happen now. Okay. We'll just wait for her out, just because we don't want to, you know, blow our secret of what's going to happen. Adele and Samuel do look a bit nervous, I'll be honest, but all be well. So what's going to happen is in a moment I'm going to ask Samuel to walk from here slowly to the sofas and back, okay? And we're all going to stare at him quite awkwardly. Then I'm going to ask him to do it again. And you guys are going to do something really not British. You're going to cheer, you're going to whoop, you might even get to your feet, you're going to go crazy. Encourage him, he's a young person in a difficult world. Do all you can to cheer on Samuel, he's going to change the world on his own, believe in him. Are we behind me? I'm not sure, but we'll see. All right, in you come. Okay, so remember the first time? Welcome back, Samuel. Uh, He's not quite grasped it, so (laughs) come here. So Samuel, come here. What's going to happen, Samuel, is I'm going to ask you to walk slowly to those sofas. We're not going to do anything weird, don't worry. Walk to those sofas and back slowly, okay? You can do that. Off you go. Brilliant. You excelled at that. Now I want you to do it again. Keep it slow. Okay, walk down. All right, yeah! Go, Samuel! Yes, Samuel! Yes, Samuel. Yes. Go, Samuel. All right. Yeah. Brilliant. High five. Okay, sit back. Excellent. You guys engaged. I was not sure that was going to work, but it did. So well done. Okay. This mic, this mic's working. Yeah, good. If you hand grasped, tonight we're going to look at encouraging one another and spurring one another on. And as I was thinking about it, it's just for tonight particularly, I'm just aware that there's lots of discouragement in the world. There's lots of things that can go against us. And what does it look like for it to be a people who encourage one another? And we'll talk about the importance of spurring one another on and the fact that we need to challenge one another, absolutely. But ultimately, we need to do that from a place and a foundation of encouraging one another. And how do we have a culture? How do I, as a follower of Jesus, really look to encourage one another and spur others on? That's what we're looking at tonight. I remember a few years back, I was speaking at an event in the west of England in Gloucestershire, quite a large event, and... I was sharing a cabin with quite a well-known church leader at the time. And I was a nervous wreck, so I was giving a talk the next day. And I get back to my 
cabin and see on my pillow a card from him to encourage me, to inspire me. And I've still got that card. That card that took two minutes for this guy to write, I still have. It still lifts me and encourages me. Our words, our encouragement, it matters. We're called to spur one another on. We're called to be each other's biggest fans, to cheer each other on. We even saw with Samuel, the first time, understandably, it's kind of awkward when we all would be, right? But the second time he lifted, his posture lifted, his face smiled. It matters. It really helps to spur one another on and encourage one another. Thank you, Samuel. You were superb, by the way. So we're going to look at this. We're looking at Hebrews 10 from 19 to 25. I believe it'll be on the screen. If you've got a Bible, that's great. But Hebrews 10... 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings. Having a heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I'm actually going to just read that once more, just so we kind of just wrestle with it a bit further as we unpack it in a moment. Therefore, Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I'm just going to pray really quickly as we open God's word. I know Tams has done that, but I think it's good just to commit God's word again to, to one another. Yeah, Lord, we thank you that your word is powerful. And I pray tonight that where we need to be sharpened and provoked, that you would just allow our postures to be ready to receive what you want to say to us tonight. And where we need encouragement, where we need strengthening, I pray we'd receive that too. But we pray that the words that are shared would be from you tonight. Amen. Amen. So in this passage, the writer of Hebrews, and we don't actually know who wrote it, there's different opinions and perspectives, but the writer of Hebrews is encouraging the churches to hold unswervingly to their faith. It's from a place of love, from a place of care. All this we're about to receive is because he wants what's best for his followers of Christ. It's not because he's trying to tell them off. It's because he wants to spur them on, as we'll look at in a moment. It's from a place of love. And the audience of this letter is very likely to be Jewish Christians because it's packed with layers and layers of Jewish theology. Hebrews is rich in Jewish story and theology. So it's either Jewish converts or people who knew their Jewish theology particularly well. And broadly, Hebrews is broken up into four sections. You've got a first section, which is around the Torah, the law, the first few books of the Bible, and how that's pointing towards Jesus. He's now saying it's pointing towards Jesus. The law is now fulfilled in Jesus. Then in the second section, he talks about Moses, the ultimate leader. And then the third section, he talks about the high priest and how the high priests were there to act on behalf of us and to offer us a way to the Father in the Holy of Holies. 
And then he talks about the sacrifice and covenant, the fact that sacrifice is a place to allow for forgiveness and sins and to have a covenant between us and God. And what we're seeing in this passage, which is really key, is that all this is being fulfilled in Jesus. The Torah, the new leader, not Moses, the great high priest is now Jesus. The sacrifice and covenant is fulfilled in Jesus. It's all pointing towards Jesus. He's done his writing of, sorry, the research is done and the groundwork's done about the Jewish theology. Now he's saying it's fulfilled in Jesus. And then in this passage, we see if you're really diligent and you've managed to spot this, it talks about faith, hope, and love. It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart with a full assurance that faith brings. That's faith. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Hope. Love, let's spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And it's deliberate that these cornerstones, these foundations, faith, hope, and love, are all pointing towards Jesus, all fulfilled in Jesus. This is a pivotal passage in Hebrews. Towards the end of this book, it's basically trying to summarize it all, pull it all together and saying that faith, hope, and love is found in Jesus. That the one you're waiting for is Jesus. The one the journey of the Old Testament is about is towards Jesus. It's fulfilled in Jesus. And we also see in this passage a summary of the good news, a summary of the gospel. We see that the sacrifice and the high priest are now Jesus. So there's no longer a need to sacrifice to the high priest, but Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. We see the cleansing of the conscience. There's no shame and guilt. Jesus is there to offer an act on our behalf. Water baptism that we can be cleansed and forgiven of our sins and be members of the church, members of Jesus' family. And the healing of the heart coming before him to know freedom from anything we've done, freedom from any pain or suffering, healing of the heart. And before we move on, it's important we say as we look to all these things being fulfilled in Jesus, but if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, all this is available to you tonight. All of this is available to you and I tonight. But he wants to offer us a chance to follow him because his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. He offers us eternal life. He offers us forgiveness of sins. He offers us a relationship with him for eternity. That's available for you and I. But as I said, this is a key juncture in scripture, key juncture in this book where all of this kind of theology in the Old Testament, all the build-up of the theology in Hebrews, the Jewish theology, is all pointing towards Jesus. So as this passage says, we can have full assurance in our faith. And the reason this is so significant is because the writer of Hebrews is writing to God's people who are amidst persecution and hardship. Amidst trials and tribulations, amidst apostasy, false teaching, they're amidst lots of challenges and opposition. And understandably, they're thinking about giving up. And he's saying, no, no, you've got to keep going. You've got to keep pressing on. That's what he's trying to encourage the church to do. And again, back to the story of the Old Testament, God's people have a track record of turning to idols, have a track record of giving up, have a track record of turning away from God. But he's saying, don't turn to idols. Don't compromise your faith. Don't be lukewarm. Don't water it down. And what he says is spur one another on. And the Greek and the New Testament is written in Greek, if you weren't aware of that. It's almost impossible to translate. Because it basically says, let us consider one another unto provoking of love and good deeds. The reason that's significant is because the focus of that particular scripture, which doesn't make a huge amount of sense in our modern language, is others, it's people. So why that's significant is for us as followers of Jesus. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus tonight, 
Your purpose, your call, until you meet with Jesus for eternity, is to spur one another on. My call is to spur others on. However many days I have left on this earth, my purpose is to spur one another on, to look and act and live and love like Jesus, to help others hold fast to the faith, to help others discover Jesus. This is our purpose. Once we believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again for us, our purpose is to spur one another on, to encourage one another. When we understand that faith, hope, and love is found in Jesus, when we understand he's the ultimate leader, that he's a perfect sacrifice, the one that washes the sins away, our purpose is to encourage one another and spur one another on. I don't know about you, but I certainly need encouragement. We need encouragement. We need people around us to say, keep going. When times are hard for us, and it's increasingly a difficult time to be a Christian, let's not kid ourselves. But we need one another to spur one another on and encourage one another and stand with us and stand alongside us. We are called, our purpose is to spur one another on and to encourage one another. And this word spur is actually only used twice in the New Testament. And it basically means to prick or poke or provoke and that's why we get the word spur for horse riding. I'm not a particularly avid horse rider. You might be surprised. I know I look like one. But why are you laughing? Um, but anyway, the, the spurs are there to get a reaction from a horse, to spur the horse on, to make it change direction or to speed up, apparently. And of course, this is done from a place of love and care. He's saying spur one another on from a foundation of love and care. But he's saying we're called to provoke each other to be more like Jesus. So we're called to poke one another and spur one another on. Poke the person next to you and tell them you did it because you love them. <laughs> okay, I'm not quite sure. But we're called to spur one another on. We're called to provoke each other. We're called to allow each other to discover Jesus so that they can understand further the glory and goodness of him and his kingdom. How do we do that? How do we recognize that our purpose is to give direction to one another and to spur one another on, absolutely encourage, but also help others understand the beauty and power of Jesus? I was listening to a podcast recently by Gary Neville, and some of you are like, others are like, this is interesting. But Gary Neville, who played for Manchester United, the greatest club of all time. Some of you are fuming, some of you are oblivious, but we will go with this. And Gary Neville talks about Alex Ferguson, who's undisputedly the greatest manager of all time. And oh, exactly, I'm really just stirring it up now. <laughs> and he was managing the Manchester United team, and there was a lady called Wendy. And Wendy was responsible for kind of club profile and engagement with the community. And one of the things that she used to do was grab balls on the Friday. Footballs, just to be clear. Grab footballs. Oh dear, I could have, could have lost my job. Um, grab, grab footballs on Friday and... Um, I would have been fine if I'd not echoed it. Uh, grab footballs on Friday and get the players to write autographs on these balls. And <laughs> I probably should leave now, shouldn't I? <laughs> so she would be responsible for getting these footballs and getting the players to sign them with their autographs. And one Friday, Rory Keane, who's the greatest captain of all time, undoubtedly, walked past. And Wendy was quite upset. She was quite frustrated. And she said, it's been a couple of weeks now. We've only had five autographs out of a squad of 25, 30 players. The players have gone on to get the massages or gone early to training or gone elsewhere, but they've not done the autographs for the training. And Roy Keane thought, that's not quite right. So he went to chat to Alex Ferguson in his office. And Alex Ferguson came down. 
and he gave the infamous hairdryer treatment, which is basically shouting at its players. I'm not sure that's the approach we should take, but he was yelling at his players, needless to say, they didn't do that again. They didn't skip signing the autographs. But he was so concerned about everyone in the organization being valued, everyone being appreciated. He was so concerned about being spurred on to greatness, the team and the organization being all it could be. He was so concerned about standard slipping, he wanted to say, you've got to keep valuing one another, you've got to spur one another on, you can't just neglect one part of the body, one part of the organization. Now, of course, as Christians, it's slightly different because we do it from a place of love and care. We don't yell at one another. We have a responsibility to spur one another on, to encourage one another, to sharpen one another. This is my weekly mention of a guy called Jim Graham. I mention him all the time. But he was a Baptist minister in England, but from Scotland. And he used to mentor me a bit. Are you looking for a picture of Jim Graham? So I was trying to work out what you're looking for. But he used to mentor me, and he was remarkable at this. He was so full of prayer for me. His heart was so right before God. He was so for me. He was so encouraging. But somehow I'd come away feeling sharpened to be more like Jesus. We need to check our hearts. We need to check our posture of prayer, absolutely. But we're called to spur one another on so that standards don't slip so that we can be more like Jesus. To get alongside them, to stand with them, to have relationship, to have proximity. That's why it says in this passage we need to keep meeting together. Because you can't do this from a distance. You do this from a close proximity. You do this from relationship. And he's not just talking about Sundays, it's talking about the gathered meetings, absolutely. But these were people of God who met a few times a week. And the challenge to us is to value those places of coming together on Sundays in communities, the different spaces we have as a church, to spur one another on because we need community, we need proximity, we need one another in order to look and love and live more like Jesus. Because the reality is, if we're honest, is that we can skip community one week or skip church on Sundays. And then what starts being once a fortnight becomes once a month. And before we know it, it's once every few months. And before we know it, we haven't been for a year or so. And what happens is our faith weakens. Our faith gets lukewarm. Our faith gets tepid. Don't drift. I'm not saying it from a place of conviction. I'm saying, from, sorry, from a place of judgment. I'm saying it from a place of encouragement because actually we allow our faith to be strengthened when we're around the people of God. We need one another. It's not an individual sport. Time and time again, I've seen people who walk away from the body of Christ and try and do it alone. It doesn't work. You need one another. I need you. You need me, kind of. But we're called to be in this together. I was watching a clip recently about zebras, and I'm a world expert on zebras, actually, so this is my sweet spot. And the guy was talking about zebras, and apparently the zebras are quite a lazy animal. And what they've learned is that you just have to not be the slowest because when you're running away, the slowest one gets attacked by the lions. So they're just trying to keep in the middle of the pack. And they were talking about a leadership principle, but I think it applies to us too. Because what they learn is you just can't be the slowest. And I think there's something here for us that we can't just settle for just getting by. We spur one another on to greatness. We spur one another on to be like Jesus. We spur one another on in a discipleship journey. But I think it also reminds us we can't leave people exposed and vulnerable. We can't leave one another behind. 
And when we're stressed, when we're tired, when we're overwhelmed, often the thing we give up is the very thing we need, and that is one another. And I know that's complex. Sometimes with certain challenges, it's hard to face anyone. I completely understand that. I've been there myself. But we need one another. We need to support one another. We need to embrace community. We need to embrace the church family. And equally, we need to make sure that we're welcoming one another, looking out for one another when they're vulnerable, when they're tired, when they're overwhelmed, when they've got doubts and struggles. We're welcoming them in to the flock. We're looking out for them. We're not leaving them exposed. We need proximity. We need one another. We need community to spur one another on. That's why it says, don't give up meeting together. That's why we encourage one another to come to our gatherings. That's why we encourage one another to be part of our communities. And it's not to make you feel judged or convicted if you're not. It's to say, actually, we believe that following Jesus requires us to be around God's people, requires us to spur one another on. And the danger is, and I'm talking to myself as much as anyone, we can turn up to church and think, oh, the talk didn't quite do it to me. Or the worship wasn't quite my taste today. We go to community and say, those weren't quite my people. They're not quite feeding me. They're not quite the sort of people I hang around. They're not my vibe. But what if we flip that on its head and say, actually, I'm here today. And who can I spare on? Who can I encourage? Who can I share a Bible verse with or just share some encouraging words with? Who can I help today? God, who are you asking me and my community to invest in? Who are you asking me in the church family to spur on? Perhaps that's where our faith grows the most, when we're spurring one another on. We need each other to encourage us and spur us on in an increasingly individualistic society. I just want to draw to a close talking around the kind of culture we're in and what a witness it is to model some of this stuff, to spur one another on, to value meeting together, to value the community. Social scientists will say that we're kind of in a third wave of individualism. And what they're saying is that the first wave of individualism, a real rise in individualism in the UK was in the 18th century, where with a feudal system, with a parish church system, people largely living in their villages and communities, they were able in the 18th century to move to the cities, to go and get jobs in the cities, to go to a church outside their area, to not be restricted by the feudal system. There was a first wave of people leaving their localities to go elsewhere. But then in the late 20th century, the second wave of individualism happened, according to the social scientists, with globalization, with the EU, with the rise of world trade unions, the international trade. And what happened in this period is that you could assign to a particular group. You didn't have to go to a church in your area. You could go to a church an hour away. You didn't have to go to a sports club and play sports with people locally. You could travel to a sports club out of your region. You could assign to a particular group or a particular context well outside of your geographical region. You could attribute yourselves to the Spice Girls or whoever you fancy, whoever you see on your TV set, because it's increasingly global. But what they're saying now is we're in this third wave, a really complex wave of individualism, where there's little loyalty or structure to any affiliation because of technology and how global we are. And of course, there's a helpful thing around self-creativity and innovation that's really good. But with that, there can be this you do you and not focused on others and not valuing the fact that we have different perspectives and we can't all do me. And alongside this kind of freedom and opportunity to be increasingly individual and express ourselves, there's this kind of weird bureaucracy. So this is, of course, a huge summary. But what they're saying is that amidst this kind of freedom where anything seems possible, anything seems okay, there's also this bureaucracy so we saw this quite distinctly in COVID, right, where 
During COVID, we're freer than ever, but it only takes a government to say, you need to stay in, you need to lock down, and suddenly everything's limited. On one hand, we're free than ever, but equally, we're limited. Or artificial intelligence, freedom to express ourselves, a freedom to do what we want to do or be who we want to be, but actually now we're like, where does this leave us with AI? Or rules and guidelines that have come from trying to be increasingly just as a society have actually become limiting. Or in a society where we're trying to look out for one another and be increasingly just and increasingly loving and supportive one another, there's a rise in cancel culture where it's dangerous to say anything at times. And of course, none of this is all bad and it's hard to do it justice in a few moments, but this individualistic culture can creep into the church because we can even try and do it alone. But church following Jesus cannot be done alone. We can struggle with commitment or a group because it doesn't fully express who I am, but actually we're called to commit to one another with our differences, with our different nuances and different giftings and experiences. We're scared to say anything because of the freedom of speech and we can get cancelled, but actually we need to stand up for what we believe in and stand up for Jesus. We're called to be freer than ever in Jesus. What a witness it would be if we understood that this is a real opportunity in a confused time to actually recognize that we need to value community, value one another, commit to one another in a time where actually it's easy to give up on one another. What an opportunity, what a witness in a world around us that can says, don't stand up for anything, but actually says, no, 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 we want to be distinct, we want to stand up for Jesus, we want to live for something different. What an opportunity and a witness to say, we want to be free in Christ, where there seems to be a real lack of freedom because of all the parameters and changes and challenges of society to offer freedom in Christ. I think that's what the world out there is craving for, the church to be distinct, the church to love one another, the church to do community well, the church to stand up for what they believe in. This is our opportunity to spur one another on, to keep going, not pulled apart by individualism, but actually saying, I want to keep going. Yes, there's challenges. Yes, there's persecution and differences in our times that are going to stretch and hinder us at times. But we need to keep going. We need to keep spurring one another on to be like Jesus, to keep following Jesus, even when it's tough and challenging. John Stott, a theologian of the 20th century and early 21st century, said this, and it's provocative, but I like it. If meat goes bad and becomes inedible, there is no sense of blaming the meat. That is what happens when bacteria are left alone to breed. The question to ask is, where is the salt? Just so if society deteriorates and its standards decline till it becomes like a dark night or a stinking fish, there is no sense in blaming society. That is what happens when failing men and women are left to themselves and human selfishness is unchecked. The question to ask is, where is the church? Why are the salt and light of Jesus not permeating and changing culture? It is sheer hypocrisy on our part to raise eyebrows, shrug our shoulders, or wring our hands. The Lord Jesus told us to be the world's salt and light. What a quote. I know it's challenging. It's, it's difficult to read, frankly. But this passage talks about the fact that the day is coming, which refers to the last days, the time where ever, we're ever closer to meeting Jesus face to face for those of us who follow him. And he's calling us to spur one another on in a passage that says we are called to help others draw closer to Jesus. We're called to imitate his life and help others draw closer to him. To spur one another on to love and good deeds. We have a responsibility to 
recognize that our ultimate purpose is to spur each other on, to encourage one another, to help them stand firm in an ever-changing world, to live distinctly, to boldly share Jesus, to stand up and stand out in a time when it's harder to do that than perhaps it's been for a long while. Our city doesn't know this, but perhaps what they need from us is us to stand firm and fervently stand up for freedom in Jesus, to follow him in a time where it's increasingly difficult to do this to radically follow Jesus, steer clear of apostasy, to keep meeting together, prioritizing one another, keep spurring one another on. That's our ultimate purpose. We need each other. We need one another to stand side by side. We need encouragement when it's difficult and it refers to the last days. All of us need that encouragement. We want to spur one another on to be increasing like Jesus, to follow him, to imitate him, to love him, to walk with him. Let me pray for us. Father, if there's anything that's been shared tonight that's not from you, I pray that we'd forget it. We don't want to be burdened or carrying things that aren't of you. For those of us who wouldn't call ourselves followers of you, I pray that just the reminder of who you are and what you've done for each and every one of us would just draw them into your family, draw them into relationship with you. If you've got questions or doubts, would you just comfort us and strengthen us and be with us through those, Lord? But for those of us who do follow you, I thank you for the many ways that these brothers and sisters do encourage one another, do spur one another on. But I pray that we'd be reminded again of the importance just to stand side by side, to encourage, to spur one another on, to be more like you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.